Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of COVID-19. It's been a while, hasn't it? Oh, and now I'm going to be singing that stain song in my head. You could look it up. It's called It's Been a While. It's interesting how music is really a stress reliever for most people. But what I find most interesting is the different kinds of music that people listen to to relieve stress. Classical music you would think would be first choice, right? That, oh, let me put on some some Mahler, some Beethoven. And that's going to calm me down and chill me out. But there are actually a lot of people who listen to heavy metal music, hard thrashing kind of music, and that calms them down. There's almost a white noise component to it. Uh, and it, it can be really calming. For me, I love music. So there's always music happening in some capacity or another, whether anybody else can hear it or it is just inside my head. But singing is the thing that I love that is de-stressing for me, whether it's uh, in the car, in the shower, in the house. What's great is that my kids are also very much into music. So we've found a way to kind of do music together. They actually do play together and occasionally we all sing together. But one of the things that we've gotten into is the, you know, the end of the evening meal. We all pile into the kitchen, we crank some tunes, and we wash the dishes and dry the dishes and load the dishwasher and clean up from after dinner. And I help, but most of the time I supervise. It's an opportunity for them to pitch in and and do some of the housework, and they've been really wonderful at doing it. And, you know, at any given time, someone's doing a drum solo, someone's doing a guitar solo, we're harmonizing, and, you know, whatever it is that we're doing with the music in that moment, it just feels so good, even though we're in this time of crisis and, and struggle and challenge for a lot of people. These are the moments with me and my boys that I, I am the most calm because we're, we're together and we're listening to music and it's a great routine and, and I'm really, I look forward to it. I'm curious if anybody else has any routines like that, that they're managing to start working into their daily lives and their routine. I'm hoping that this will continue when we've come out of sort of quarantine and isolation. I know some people are going through old movies to watch movies with with their families. We haven't really done a lot of that, but I now have tons of lists of old movies that I should definitely rewatch and some that I'm ashamed to admit I haven't even seen. So I'm looking forward to that at some point. We uh, aren't watching a lot of movies. The kids are definitely you know, doing screen time for sure. But we do, when we get into movies and certain TV shows, we we like to analyze and we like to talk about it. And that inspired me to reach out to a friend who makes movies. <laughs> it's kind of fun that I just, you know, go through my Rolodex like, oh, who do I know? And I actually have a very dear friend who is uh, an incredible filmmaker. You know, she produces, she directs, she's she's just remarkable. And so I figured I would reach out to her and have a conversation. She's got some incredible projects coming up, which we do talk about. And uh, her name is Marilyn Ness. I'm going to read you her bio. I didn't, I didn't do this uh, when I had her on the phone because I didn't want to embarrass her. Because the bio is pretty remarkable and it's pretty long, but I'm going to read it because I want you to get an idea of who we're talking to. It's not just, oh, well, Julie's talking to another one of her friends. She's legit, Okay. So here's, here's Marilyn's bio. Director, producer. 
Marilyn Ness is a two-time Emmy, Peabody, and DuPont award-winning filmmaker, a member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and works as a producer and a director. Most recently, she produced Dick Johnson is Dead, which premiered at the 2020 Sundance Film Festival and received the Special Jury Award for Innovation in Nonfiction Filmmaking. As a director, Marilyn most recently helmed Charm City, which premiered at the 2018 Tribeca Film Festival and was shortlisted for the 2019 Academy Award Best Documentary Feature. The film was broadcast on PBS's Independent Lens in April 2019. Before that, she produced Camera Person, director Kirsten Johnson, which premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival, was released by the Criterion Collection, and was shortlisted for the 2017 Academy Awards. Trapped, director Don Porter, which premiered at the 2016 Sundance Film Festival, received the Jury Prize for Social Impact Filmmaking, broadcast on PBS Independent Lens, and was awarded at Peabody. She also produced Katie Chevigny and Ross Kaufman's feature documentary, E-Team, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2014 and was bought by Netflix Original and later earned two Emmy nominations. Ness also produced Joanna Hamilton's feature documentary, 1971, which premiered at Tribeca Film Festival 2014, broadcast on PBS Independent Lens in 2015, and earned an Emmy nomination. She directed the documentary feature film Bad Blood, A Cautionary Tale that broadcast nationally on PBS in 2011. That's a lot, right? You got to hear a little of my, my voiceover work. <laughs> it's reading as, I was the, as if I were narrating a story. That's Marilyn's bio. And it is, uh, it is long, but it is short in comparison to what I know her future holds. And it's so... Wonderful to be able to read a list of accomplishments from someone, and even more so when you can call that person a dear friend. We've, we've, like I said before, we've known each other for a long time. Uh, we've worked together from a, a voice actor angle, and actually because I, I was involved in Charm City, which we're going to talk about in the interview, which was a documentary that uh, came out in 2018, and I was uh, lucky enough to be able to co-executive produce on that film, which was a first for me and a really wonderful experience. And I, I, I hope I get to do it again. And so we're going to talk about Charm City. We're going to talk about Dick Johnson is Dead. We're going to talk about filmmaking and documentary filmmaking. So this is where I get to tell you, have a seat, get your tea, get your coffee, get your cocktail, whatever it is that you need to have by you while you listen in and enjoy uh, the interview with my friend, producer, director, Marilyn Ness. Thank you so much, Marilyn, for joining me from your quarantine hole, <laughs> wherever, wherever that might be. Yeah, I'm happy to be talking to another human being that is not a member of my immediate family. <laughs> Even though we have known each other for, for a pretty long time and mm, kind of consider each other, you know, the, the family that we've chosen in our lives, which is a blessing for mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. What I love is I am blessed with wonderful friends who do really wonderful things. And you, you know, I, I read your bio to everybody before and it is clear your accomplishments are vast and what you do is just incredible. So it's a perfect opportunity for us to have a conversation because we don't ever get to really do it in this form. And so I thought we would start off going to the basics. I have, I have two kids three kids total, but two, one is an actor and one's a filmmaker in training. And so I, I have to ask you, how did you end up getting into film? How did you end up getting into documentary film work? I actually started like your boys. I started in theater in high school. I was directing plays 
And when it came time to look at colleges, my mother said, there's no way you're going into theater. She said, communication sounds good. And so I wound up at Syracuse at the Newhouse School along with you, although I didn't know you then. And I majored in television, radio, and film production. And my freshman year spring break, we were assigned, um, we had to write and research a documentary film. And I had never been happier to sort of take all these disparate pieces of a puzzle and try to figure out a creative way to tell a story. And so for that, from that point forward, for the next four years, I just geared all of my schoolwork and internships to documentary filmmaking and then graduated into this big wide world. Do you remember what that first assignment was? Oh yeah, I was do. I decided to do a film, uh, to research a film about Holocaust deniers. And I, I had an aunt who worked at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. And so I was able to access survivors and researchers and historians. And, you know, you just realize that the license you get um, to talk to people, you know, people will let you into their lives and their stories. Um, if you come with a curiosity and, and some empathy and, and you really, you know, I've been into, I've been in amazing worlds other than my own um, as a gift of this, this job, a side, a side perk of this, of this gig. So I've been fortunate. It makes me wonder how it must feel for you to go to a movie, to even watch a regular, you know, action film or, a, you know, any kind of film. Are you, are you constantly on when you're watching another movie? Funny enough, no, actually, I, I, I am for documentaries, I think. I mean, every, in every filmmaking, every time you, you watch a film, you're kind of swept away in the story, right? You just got to follow the, the beat by beat. So I'd have to watch a film twice in order to decide how one starts to deconstruct it or where were the tricks or, you know. But mostly, no, I like when the, my, my favorite place in the world is being in a movie theater when the lights go down and it gets dark and the projection starts. Um, I'm in like, like for me, that's a ride and that's a transformative and transporting experience. So I'm usually really following along on the plot points more than anything, more than dissecting it. So no, I don't consider myself always on. Do you have a favorite movie theater candy? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a milk duds kind of girl. Hey, now that's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a peanut M&M, so I get it. Now, you know, in your in your bio, obviously, you, you've done a, a variety of things, and you've recently transitioned from producer to director. How was that process for you? You know, I I directed my first film, like it. I started directing my first film in 1999. It took 10 years to finish that one. Oh, right. Yeah. That was that. So tell us about that. Was Bad Blood, right? Right. So Bad yes, Blood was. True was the first film I directed um, where I really like learned how to make an independent feature documentary. Before that, I was making films more for television. And so, you know, it was a labor of love for sure. It did take 10 years, not day in, day out, 10 years, but it it took 10 years to, to pull the whole thing together. And I was incredibly proud um, of this film about 10,000 Americans who contract HIV and Hep C uh, from their FDA approved medication. And we interviewed everybody from all sides of this crisis, whether they were from the pharmaceutical perspective or from a survivor perspective, they all felt like I had captured their truth, that it accurately depicted their experience. And I was really proud of that. And then we, I sort of took a similar example when we, I directed the film Charm City. We went to Baltimore during a time of three years of um, increasing violence and 
did something similar where we stood in the middle and listened to the perspective of each of the people living amidst the violence. And so those were community members or violence interrupters, politicians and police officers trying to understand how to empathetically how these crises unfold in cities. Um, and it's the same experience happened where each person to, you know, no matter what side, quote unquote, side they were on, felt that the film accurately depicted their experience. And so for me, that's that's my goal. I think it's a it's a great gift to be a documentary filmmaker, but that camera brings a lot of power. And how do you kind of slip behind it so that people can really empower themselves to tell their own stories? You know, the stories that the news doesn't stick around long enough to see. Uh, and so I feel I felt really proud of of being able to take that particular gift and help other people tell their own stories and access their own truth. What mm. happens now? You know, Charm City. It's been it's been two years, right? Yeah, it's a, it's an amazing thing that it's been two years. I do get very close to the subjects in my film, and you know, Charm City took four years from start to finish, and then you spend a year releasing the film and a number of the subjects really kind of hit the road with me to take their story around the country. And so you get really close during that time. And, you know, we text regularly and we're, we check in on each other. And, you know, when I see the numbers ticking up around the COVID crisis in Maryland, I, I check in on those guys cause they're my, you know, they're now an extension of my family and then life moves on. So sometimes it gets, you know, sometimes, you can't go back again, right? You can never go home again. That expression sometimes holds true. Um, but I keep in touch with people and, you know, I think forever they'll be a part of me and and I hope me a part of them, you know, and we'll just celebrate each other's successes and sadnesses. And I think that's part of it. As a filmmaker, you are bringing people in forever. Uh, you know, I, I, these are not one-off things for me. You know, you do the film, you wrap it, you walk on. I mean, for me, it's I just keep kind of growing <laughs> this big extended family of people I'm going to worry about and love till the end of time. And I think that's evident in your work. When you shoot something, the heart that you bring into it is there. And I and I think you, you there's an event coming up uh, for Charm City, which is a public event, right? Actually, a Facebook Live, we decided to check in with these guys because it has been just just about exactly two years since we released the film at the Tribeca Film Festival. And, you know, so much has happened. I think people got really invested in the stories of Alex Long and Monique Brown and Brandon Scott and Mr. C and, you know, and their lives have moved on in both amazing ways and challenging ways. And so we thought it would be a nice opportunity to reconnect with folks. It's an event people can join from their living rooms. They don't have to come to Baltimore. Uh, it's an open Facebook live event on May 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern. So I think, I hope people check in because I know those guys are all my heroes. They really are remarkable. Um, and so I'm excited to hear what they've been up to. And actually, and it's worth noting, we won't be showing the film on the Facebook live, although we'll have clips, but the film is free streaming on Amazon Prime. So. so what you should do is before the first, <laughs> so yeah, I'm giving you a couple of days. Uh, the film isn't that long. It is absolutely stunning. And you should find, you should go to Amazon and you should stream it so that you can participate in the Facebook Live. Charm City was shortlisted uh, for the Oscars in 2019, which was really exciting. Yes. Uh, and I know you've had another film that was shortlisted, yes? 
Um, yes, so Camera Person was also shortlisted. That film came out, it was at Sundance in 2016 and then got picked up by the Criterion Collection, was in theaters, and I think is also free streaming on Amazon Prime. It was, it broadcast on POV on PBS. And that's a film, Kirsten Johnson is a, a longtime cinematographer um, and she took the raw footage of various films she shot over 25 years. And we made a memoir-like film. It's not a memoir, but a memoir-like film of what is the experience of being a camera person and the choices one makes behind the camera and in the world. And it is an incredibly jarring film, uh, really wild to see it from that perspective because we don't ever necessarily consider that there has to be someone behind the camera mm -hmm. right and she does her job well you don't even think about it <laughs> exactly yeah, which yeah. she does her job well and there's a there's a follow-up to camera person it's the same director same team um we released another film that premiered at sundance um 2020 just just a few months ago, it's hard to imagine that's just a few months ago, called Dick Johnson is Dead. Um, and it's a film where she explores life and death with her own father. I feel like now in the time of convening, you know, where convening is so hard to do and, and people are really grappling with death in all kinds of unexpected and tragic ways, Dick Johnson gives us a chance to um, reflect on death in a different way than we otherwise would. And our we don't know yet what the release is. Obviously, everything's been kind of upended by, by COVID-19, but ultimately it will be on Netflix. We just don't have our exact dates. We're working on it. We're working on it. But I, I the one thing I want to say about Camera Person that I think also, especially in this moment in time of COVID-19, is how impacted the film industry has been. I mean, so many industries have been so hard hit um, but all of the people, in order to do production, in order to make documentary films, in order to make fiction films, people have to convene in actual human space together, um, which is part of the gift of, of doing it, right? You have to be with the people you're filming with. But it also means we can't film in these difficult times. And so I just, camera person is also a nod to the toll that the work takes on the people who make it, who are often unseen behind the camera. And I personally just want to send my love and support and thoughts to all of the people in filmmaking who are hurting right now, because it's a very scary time. And so many people who are, you know, kind of doing the day gig. And so we're living kind of close to the margin. So we are worried, you know, and, and we're watching movie theaters sit empty and they were already struggling. And, you know, I think some things it's like a phoenix from the ashes, I hope, but there are there are many industries that are struggling right now, but filmmaking is one of them where it's just unclear where the future will lie. You know, if you can't have film festivals and you can't gather in closed spaces, how do we continue? Um, and I'm sure we'll find a way and streaming certainly offers, offers solutions. But, you know, I, as I said, I'm a particular fan of sitting down in the dark and having the projector creak on and, um, yeah, I we'll see what we'll see what happens. We'll see where this all goes. I have hope that we will get back to 
some sort of process where we can have these experiences again, especially in the filmmaking, creative arts industry, because people are needing the escape. It's why I started this podcast, mm -hmm. right? People need some place to go, even if it's for, for a half hour just to disappear. And I know, yeah, a lot of people are watching films that they haven't seen in a long time. A lot of people are renting new films that are, that are being released that had already been, you know, in production and, and, you know, shot and ready to go. But I know we're going to need some some more creativity in the world and and maybe we'll actually have a new empathy when when we come out of this darkness because we will we we actually have to you've got one project uh that's that's coming out soon today was actually the big announcement that um becoming the uh film about michelle obama a story that offers a rare and up close up close look at her life and takes viewers behind the scenes of her 34 city tour. Um, that's going to be dropping on Netflix on May 6th. And I was one of the producers on the film. Um, we're very proud of it. And it really, in dark times, it really highlights the power of community and what it means to gather and to bridge our divides um, and find connection by hearing about other people's stories and sharing your stories, honestly, much like this podcast. Uh, I'm I am excited that um, we'll get to share the story of Becoming with the world on May 6th on Netflix. I like it. So we've got Marilyn on the calendar, May 1st with Charm City Facebook Live, and then May 6th on Netflix, Becoming, the film about Michelle Obama. I'm going to put you on the spot here. We talk about love. We talk about romance, love letters, all kinds of aspects of love and positivity and light. Because you're a filmmaker, I'm curious if you could name a couple of films that feel like love letters to you. Oh man, Act actual love letters or a love no, letter to anything? To anything. The most perfect film to me could be like a love letter. It is on the spot. I guess The Shape of Water came into my mm. mind as a, a love letter to cinema and a love letter to love uh, and, and the improbable loves that, that make the world a more remarkable and rich place. I have a personal love letter for marriage story, which is maybe the, the opposite of a love letter. <laughs> I actually talk about marriage story in one of my early episodes because the main characters end up writing these love letters in a sense about each other, mm -hmm. even though it's yeah. the in therapy, marriage counseling, divorce letter. Right, right, right. <laughs> But it is essentially a love letter. So I, Marriage Story is great. Shape of Water is phenomenal. And I think that's beautiful. That, that's definitely that's definitely up there as, as a film that, that looks like a love letter. We also actually have a love letter that you shared. Yes. With me. You said you didn't actually want to read it yourself. Is that well, correct? You would do a much better job reading. <laughs> so I will read the love letter. But if you can give us a little snapshot as to who the love letter is written by, who the love letter is written to. So my grandmother, Dora Pearl, had a sister. So my grandmother immigrated from Poland um, and came from like a very traditional Jewish family. So she was just your traditional immigrant. Um, her parents had a much younger daughter who was born in the U.S. And her name was Edith Squirka. And she, so she really grew up as an all-American girl, like just didn't have any of that immigrant culture that weighed on her and she seemed and she was born in New York and kind of lived the life of you know a New Yorker she was an artist she was a model she would model clothing um, she was a painter she just was a real renaissance woman somewhere in the summer of 19 
44, I think, she meets uh, a soldier who's on furlough, who's normally stationed during World War during World War II in Germany, but he comes back to the States, I guess. I don't, I don't know all the details around the story, but he comes back and she meets him in the summer, I think in Coney Island. They date briefly. They go on a number of dates that are very romantically portrayed. And then he returns to Germany to continue to fight the war. And they have a series of letters that are written back and forth. We probably have about 30 of them. They're called V-mail, which I kind of love, the victory mail, where you would write, you'd send it through the army and they it would like typed up in little square sheets that would then get sent off to the theater of war. And Saul would then write back. And um, we have all of Edie's letters to Saul. Um, and they went on for a, more than a year um, before he returns home. So yeah, so, so, we, so I shared with you one of the, one of the Edie letters to Saul. And it's it's neat to see. So I didn't realize that that's how the V-mail worked because I wondered, like, it's typed up beautifully <laughs> instead of, some, you know, I've been getting some love letters from people where I, I am struggling to read the print, especially because they're so old. These are meticulously kept. So thank you for sending. I'm actually going to post that on Instagram so everybody can have a look at it because I, I find it fascinating. Yeah. And it's really, for me, the, the letters really bring New York to life. They bring her life to life in a way she was a really descriptive writer and would talk about the things she went and did and she seemed to get herself into all kinds of trouble like little hijinks and stuff so she she yeah she's just a very entertaining woman and I will tell you actually that my senior thesis film for my for Syracuse um, I did four generations of women in my family including my grandmother and I did profile a few of Edie's letters for this woman who was coming into her own. She was a, she considered herself a modern woman. She worked, she didn't, she didn't have children. You know, she wasn't planning to work outside the home. I mean, inside the home. So yeah, so I, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Edie uh, in my life and uh, she's a real, uh, she was a real hero. She was a real um, role model for me of like what the potential women could have if they put their creative minds to work. And in her writing, she sounds like a character. So I will read to you a letter from Edie. Dated Monday afternoon, July 9th, 1945. Dear Saul, received your swell letter of June 25th, and I hope you're over the glooms of being back by now. Not that I blame you, fella. We certainly did have a grand time. I'd change places with you for a little while so you could get some more time off. How about that? They say we look alike, but I suppose that would be taxing the imagination to a high degree. I took another look at that picture, to try to discern a resemblance, and other than the fact that we're both dark, have sparkling smiles, beautiful brown eyes, and are both breathtakingly handsome, I see no resemblance. You say I look like a debutante, and I ask, is that good? Why, Saul Smolin, you say the nicest things, and yet it didn't used to be that way. P.S. I like it. I meant to ask whether you'd bought copies of those two songs, Strange Music and If You Are But a Dream. They are so lovely, and I find myself singing them quite often. They make me think of a certain Navy man. Is that bad? Did you take your mandolin or guitar? I'd forgotten which of the two you said you play. When I met Etta that day in Macy's, she told me that Jack is in Germany. What's a lucky break for him? I suppose he'll be in the Army of Occupation. Boy, I hope he gives it to those heinies, but good. Meantime, you're taking good care of those little sons of heaven. Now I shall go into a long soliloquy on how divine you sounded in that little nightclub in Brooklyn when you sang Begin the Beginner and Night and Day. 
and that walk in the wee hours through an avenue of trees heavy with their burden of sparkling raindrops. It was almost enchanted. We had a wonderful time in Tavern on the Green, too, and may I say once again that you dance like a dream. Boy, get a load of me. I'm waxing eloquent. Methinks I am bewitched. Don't you dare laugh at me, do you hear? You'll hurt my feelings. In case you like it, there's plenty more where that came from. Besides, the kind of stuff I'm writing to you never did any harm to a sailor's morale yet. Feel better. Now say something nice to me, while we're in the process of throwing bouquets. I think I told you that Sylvia came home to New York for a two-week stay and her husband came into town this past Friday. We showed him Brighton Beach, or Brooklyn's Riviera, and he was duly impressed. As for me, I'm black as tar. Hope no one decides to patch a roof with me. That one just sort of ends there, but in another letter I have. She signed it, as ever, Edith. So that's how I'll sign this one off. And so that was the letter from Marilyn's great aunt Edie. Marilyn, thank you so much for joining me today. We'll catch you on Facebook Live uh, May 1st, 7 p.m. Uh, if anybody wants uh, or has questions for Marilyn or the, the subjects of the film Charm City. And then Becoming May 6th on Netflix. And then we will wait to find out for the release information for Dick Johnson is Dead. And when that happens, we will post it here. Thanks, Julie. It's so much fun when I get to talk to my friends and talk about their accomplishments. And Marilyn certainly has a nice list. So watch Charm City streaming on Amazon. Watch Camera Person also streaming on Amazon and look for the release of the next installment in that story, Dick Johnson is Dead. And then, of course, catch Becoming the Story of Michelle Obama, which is dropping on Netflix on May 6th. Thank you so much for being here. Keep looking for those love letters. Send them to me. Love in the time of COVID-19 at gmail.com. I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're staying home. And I hope you're staying healthy. And I hope to see you again real soon. This is love in the time of COVID-19. I'm Julie Stampler. Stay well.